Welcome to the Woman Being Podcast. Today we have the fabulous and amazing and wise Tanasha LeRae. Welcome. With us today. <laughs> she has dropped so much truth and mm. wisdom and just insight into our lives in the past week. And so we're really excited to share some of that with all of you. Welcome to the Woman Being Podcast community, where we explore thoughts and opinions and have the freedom to change our minds. Without expectation or judgment, we will hold a safe space and support each other as we navigate together in the form of feminine. So I'm going to introduce Tanasha for anyone who may be listening and not be familiar with her extensive repertoire, but she is a poet, a preacher, an activist, storyteller, and Mm -hmm. co-founder of Movement Collaborative, which you will share more about as we journey through this discussion. Um, But Tanasha, thank you so much for being with us today. You're a light. Thanks for having me. This is cool. I love it. (laughs) So so today we're here to talk about racial justice and and reconciliation and the tensions that exist in our country today it's it's very present Mm -hmm. and so um we wanted to give it the space so first i wanted to let the three of us give a short background on where we've come on this Mm -hmm. journey and where we are now and where we're going and then um want to hear a little more from you so Mm -hmm. emma tell us yeah. Um, so just to give context, I'm, I grew up in South Carolina. Obviously, this was the first state to secede from the Union and also a state that had a Confederate flag flying from our state house until just a couple years ago. Um, and I grew up in a school system that told me that uh, the Civil War was a state's rights issue, not a slavery issue. And things like racism has actually been fixed and that's done. Mm-hmm. Um But luckily, I received a lot of different narratives back home. Um, My mom was really intentional in teaching me that actually that wasn't the case and that I needed to be intentional in making friends and um, knowing people who were different from me. Mm -hmm. Um, And she led by example in that in her life. But also at the same time, I heard from my dad things like, don't marry a black man because you're going to have a hard time in life if you do that. Um, But... I definitely saw a racial divide within my school with things like being in an, in an academic program and noticing that there were only, I think, three kids who were not white in that program mm. or um, the fact that we didn't go to the cafeteria because that was where the black kids ate and that was where the, quote, bad kids ate. Wow. Um, and <laughs> so there was definitely segregation within my school. And um, after high school, I moved to Philadelphia and went to college. And um, a lot of people would ask me, like, why did you why do you not like the South? Why why did you want to leave? And actually race was a big reason why I told people that I left because mm. I didn't want to be in an environment that had such a divide. Mm. Um, and obviously Philadelphia has its problems too. Um, but And my university had its problems. But I was able to go to a church where I was one of the only white people there and able to experience um, the stories and and have fellowship with people that had such different backgrounds than I had. Mm-hmm. Um, and it helped me to learn more about all these things that I had noticed growing up um, 
that to actually put words to those as I learned terms like systemic racism and white privilege. And as I realized, oh, this is why these things are happening that I've Mm -hmm. sort of noticed as I've grown up Um, and also had to reconcile with racist ideas that I had and thoughts Mm -hmm. that I had from being in the environment that I was in. Um, And now as I've traveled a lot and as I have experienced so many different cultures as I've I've experienced so many different ethnicities and races of people um, diversity is actually something that I really seek out now in my life and recognize the importance of and then also the importance of um, speaking up about things even if it doesn't directly affect me Mm. Um, because Mm. if it affects people then it affects all of us so that's sort of been my (laughs) experience yeah, thank you. Kelly Ann, mm. how about you? Yeah, um, so I grew up in Oklahoma in a very poor, um, not particularly safe neighborhood. Um, we happened to only be the white, the only white family around on the block. Um, but it, it was, I don't think, it was obviously not unsafe because of race. It was unsafe because of poverty. Um, that is a whole mindset that we can definitely get into at another time. But um I always had neighbors of color. I played with the the kids. It wasn't like a weird thing. Um, and my mom was very, she taught me to be very kind, to be very respectful of everyone, regardless of, you know, skin color or background. Um, it was a little different with my dad. He was very protective um, and probably passed on some ideas that I have unraveled as an adult. Um But yeah, I didn't see the same diversity in the communities I was raised in um, with church, music, you know, theater. Um, I was homeschooled, so I did not receive the kind of education that Emma was mentioning. Um, I wish I had had more at a younger age, but now I have the privilege of educating myself as an adult, um, which has been great. Um, Yeah, and then when I moved to a small town in Northern California, it was a culture shock because it was just a ton of white people. And I had actually never been in um, an area where there weren't just even amounts of people of all different kinds of races. Um, So that was very interesting. I um, met my husband when I was 18, who happens to be biracial. He is, his dad is black and his mom is white. And um, so not only as myself do I feel an obligation to now um, go on this journey and educate myself, but obviously for him as well. And so I can support him and also to educate our future children. Um, I feel a very big responsibility for that. And I want, I want our kids to know their heritage and to know the truth of the ugliness of history and to celebrate where we've come so far, but also to have vision for where we can continue to go. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, that is me. Yeah. And for me, I mean, I grew up in the rural Midwest for the majority of my childhood. And we were always taught kindness. We were always taught to treat people with love and respect. But I mean, there's always those prevailing kind of narratives that, okay, Yes, people of different races are, you know, worthy of kindness and, you know, dignity and all that, but they make bad choices. Mm. And so that was kind of what I grew up sort of understanding. Um, And then in college and beyond, I've sort of 
began a journey of education. Um, I've realized there's a lot of history that I missed out on mm-hmm. uh, growing up. And uh, uh, although I attended um, like some more diverse churches uh, mm-hmm. later in life, uh, now I'm at the place now where I, I'm trying to resist the temptation to, to be woke. Mm. And uh, I just want to journey forth in this conversation as humbly as I can, um, yeah. realizing that I have a lot to learn and there's um, there's a lot of work to be done. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Tanasha, this was interesting when we, we met you, is that you had a journey as well, which, I mean, of course you did, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you told us how your mom kind of was a huge piece of that. Will you tell yeah. us that story? Most definitely. You know, growing up, I grew up in Oklahoma as well. Mm-hmm. Oklahomies. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it was it was unique growing up in my household because my dad's a minister. My mom's an educator um, and a counselor. My dad's a, a teacher um, by spiritual gifting. He just is incredibly, mm. I mean, just gifted in teaching and it's ridiculous. Um, and so it was kind of like one of those households where you're going to learn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you are, you're going to be learning. You're going to have good grades. But my mom, she particularly took to making sure that we had um, education around who we were. Mm-hmm. And um, she was just gripped uh, living in Montana and Idaho. My dad was in the military. And there was something about now being the fish out of the pond, you mm. know, type thing, because she was no longer around the black community in mm. Oklahoma, uh, that it was blatantly obvious, you know, we're black. <laughs> and it's hard to articulate these things and, and what we're feeling to our white counterparts who don't understand why that was racist and what this is and all those things. So she started to go on a journey. We just so happened to be her kids while she started this journey. <laughs> oh. And uh, and that means like our cartoons changed and the, the mm-hmm. types of, of, of toys that she brought home, they changed books that she made sure we were reading. And then around my middle school years, um, late elementary to middle school years, we would pinch pennies. My parents would make a whole lot of money back in the day. And we would pinch pennies just to do um, vacations every summer. Well, that's what they called them we as the kids called them field trips <laughs> because <laughs> it was like school ended and then we're getting in the van and we're going, you know, to plantations and abolitionist mm. homes and, oh goodness, uh, underground railroad sites, places where the civil rights movement unfolded, mm. um, incredible places where there were beautiful achievements, Motown Museum and, you know, and even just um, reverent places like the crypt of Dr. King or um, slavery. Mm. Uh, graveyards and I just remember being in those spaces and my imagination running wild as I was able to be right there up close and personal with where history happened and a lot of these places they're you know they're making money (laughs) and so they have actors and they reenact things and they bring you into the story and I so many of the things that we learned while we were there I'm like mom this isn't in my textbook I would bring her my text I'm like we have we have two paragraphs to slavery. Why aren't they telling some of these stories? And mm. It was it became very very clear to me that uh, America had a version that they wanted you know to teach us, yeah. and um, it's not that it's untrue, not that those things did not happen that are in the book, but it's just not the whole truth. Mm. Uh, and so I'm grateful for my mom taking it upon herself to make sure that that was saturated into us. Uh, it changed the way I even looked at my own people. You know, I grew up in the hood. I grew up, mm-hmm. you know, um, around 
around poverty, but not with an impoverished mindset. And a lot of the people that I did grow up around, they also did not have that particular mindset, but mm. they also didn't have inheritance. And mm. you, when you're up and close with all of these things that happened, you see how it was stripped. You see how uh, we did not ask for where we are and we're the current state that we're in. We, we didn't plan for that. In mm. fact, we planned the opposite direction. And, yeah. you know, there so many things were pillaged, stolen. So many things were were taken so many things were rigged um and uh and and you just you know in all of it you know there's a lot of pain but i also was raised to see the glory you know to see the beauty to see like dang look what we made of ourselves in the midst of it like we're still like one of the number one trend-setting ethnic groups on the planet um you know the the achievements the the withitness that we would kind of have, like we would just find a way, you know, the renaissance that would break out of our communities with little to nothing. Mm-hmm. So imagine if we actually had a fair and equal chance. Yeah. Wow. What would we be building? Yeah. What would we be creating and contributing to society? One of the reasons that we're talking about this today is um, because of kind of the current situation that's happening in our country, sparked by the death of George Floyd and um, most recently... Uh, the death of Jacob Blake, mm-hmm. and it's devastating. It's like heartbreaking. Um, and so, how are you doing? How how are you? What are you What are you feeling and thinking in the midst of all this? You know, it's like it's mixed emotions because you grow up with brutality and unjust unfair treatment all around you mm-hmm. and sometimes it ends in fatalities um and so you see you know this george floyd situation the jacob blake situation and you have to sort of peel the numbness off you know sometimes um the the george floyd situation was very gutting i i just i mean i'm like eight minutes on that man's neck you know um and and there's so many other factors yes that that played into that situation but goodness, you know, human beings. Um, so some days I'm doing okay. And some days I'm like, okay, I need to make myself feel this mm-hmm. so that I don't get crusted over so that I, I allow my heart to heal. In the black community, we just had a, another huge blow last night. Um, it was reported that Chadwick Boseman passed from cancer. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's a different blow for a different reason. On the other side of things, you have this, this icon, this um, this man who played King T'Challa, <laughs> you know, and yeah. and, uh, and the beauty of, of like what it would look like if our community um, was honored mm-hmm. and and connected to like resources and wealth and identity and uh, a belief that we can do it. And and he represented that for us. So you have this juxtaposition of where we're not being honored and then an icon that so represented a connection to who we really believe we are. Mm-hmm. And so it's just gutting. It's just gutting all around. And, yeah. you know, you just, you get into that space where you're like, what can I do? I've just got to, and sometimes what you need to do is just sit still and feel the pain. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of in that space. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing and like helping us understand and peel back what not just you are feeling right now, but a community as a whole. I think it's really important for us to be able to to um, lament with those who lament, mm-hmm. even if we don't understand the depth 
of what's happening and hopefully through that we can continue to gain perspective um you said um you are a preacher and um we were all raised in the church and i would love to hear what what the church's role should be and how we should be supporting right now Mm -hmm. with what's happening and how can we be speaking out better definitely you know Everyone's kind of asking right now, is this racial reconciliation? And um, I, I, I teach on this subject from the standpoint of like, what does the word reconciliation mean? It means to be reconnected to. And we've been given as believers the ministry of reconciliation, which is reconnecting things back to the Father. The Father's reconciling all things back to himself. However, when you look at the situation with black people and white people in this country, have we ever been connected? Mm. Truly, mm. deeply, you know? I think about our patriotic song, Uh, and crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. Have we ever been crowned with brotherhood Mm. in this nation? Can't actually say we've been brothers. So Mm -hmm. is this reconnecting? It's more so racial unity happening for the first time, but I do believe that core tenets of the ministry of reconciliation are at play here. It's the Mm. same thing. Look at human suffering. Mm -hmm. And what is the response to human suffering? Justice, Mm -hmm. healing, love, Mm -hmm. laying down your life. Mm-hmm. understanding sitting with you know it's all modeled in the life of Jesus mm-hmm. and we are given power through the death of Jesus and resurrection of Jesus to be able to do these things um i would love to see the church uh you know like i would love to see predominantly white churches specifically um just learn to lament especially mm-hmm. in western culture we suck at that mm-hmm. we suck at lamenting lamenting we suck at repentance mm-hmm. we we just want uh, a feel good gospel sometimes like look mm-hmm. at what god has given us and we don't often understand that we're supposed to also share in the sufferings of christ yep. which is the persecution which is the difficulty the the travail the 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 goodness the, the travail of jesus in the garden of gethsemane before mm-hmm. he was facing his ultimate assignment mm-hmm. what is our assignment Mm. knowing what Jesus modeled, we're going to have to face travail as we look our assignment in the face. And our assignment is to love people and to love people well. And we should be the masters at this. Like we should have mastered this a long time ago. But oftentimes we have so many political allegiances. We check in to make sure it hits conservatism first. Mm. We check in to make sure it hits the liberal checklist first. And we forget we're kingdom citizens. We're ambassadors of the kingdom. So conservatism is going to fall short. Liberalism is going to fall short. All of these man-made constructs are going to fall short, mm-hmm. but the kingdom will never fall short. So I, I would love to see people just make more of an allegiance to the kingdom and what could it look like to end human suffering and to look at this through that lens, this this particular um, space with the black community is it's suffering. Mm-hmm. And most times people will start to have this, this, this place where they go, well, what about, and what about this? What about that? It's like, well, if I'm talking about breast cancer, I don't say what about liver cancer. Yeah, yeah. The, those don't help. Like we want yeah. to end this particular suffering, so stay on subject. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. stay on message, stay focused, uh, stay connected, stay with people, embracing people in that particular pain and bringing strength to that particular pain, mm-hmm. uh, and and then educating yourself. You know, like where we can be leaders in this, if we have not been stewarding this for many years, then that means we need to be learners. If we're just catching up because America hasn't taught us the story, then we need to learn the story. Mm -hmm. We need to look at some of this history and go, oh, it actually has set up not an unfair advantage just in slavery, but it's continued to set up an unfair advantage to the point where it's destroyed Mm -hmm. whole communities. Mm 
what do you do with that? Yeah. And what's our job? Our role is to bring repair, mm-hmm. to to go the way of the breach, to be repairers of the breach, mm. restorers of mankind, restorers of ruined cities, restorers of broken communities. We're supposed to be the ones that look like Jesus, hands and feet to people, not mm-hmm. the ones debating is this Marxism? You know, <laughs> what about capitalism? And then oh. you're trying to bring your socialistic like mm-hmm. bump all that stuff, like throw mm-hmm. that out of the window. And how can we be repairs of the breach? Mm-hmm. I would love to see the church uh, step into that role. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I've heard, I read the other day uh, something along the lines of social justice is a form of evangelism. Yeah. And when we look at Jesus's example, he didn't say, well, what about this? What about this? Precisely. He said, how can I bring healing where there is hurting? How can I mourn with those who mourn? Mm-hmm. Like that's, that was his mission. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Our, our job isn't to ask a bunch of questions to qualify if someone yeah. is good enough or yeah. whatever enough to be helped or to be fought for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that's good. We're always trying to find ways to go. Well, is this a valid enough wound and pain for me to want to even bring healing to? Mm-hmm. Like, mm. ah, you yes. know, being in some conversations <laughs> and people will interrupt as we're talking about a specific story or experience that we've had only to ask, prove to me that systemic racism is true. You know, like, that's okay. not my job. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, how about you go educate yourself, mm-hmm. you know, on, on some things. And it is difficult because there's um, a feeling of being deceived there. Mm-hmm. Or, and, and there's that cognitive dissonance where when people are faced with those realities, mm-hmm. it's like it undoes what you know. Yeah. And we've been taught America is great. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been taught America is is the most profound place and almost to the, to the degree that we've been taught America has no flaws. Yeah. 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 America. And, and, you know, everyone makes that statement like, well, no one's perfect. And but we don't actually acknowledge that we kind of believe that we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> we kind of believe that we have the best government and the best this and the best that. But we have horrible incarceration, horrible suicide rates, horrible obesity, like something's broken. Yes. Something's broke. Yes, we may have money, but what's happening to the soul of America? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like something's broken if it is yielding so much fruit of destruction. Yeah. We should look at that. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's a good word. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> a lot of this conversation has been surrounding um just the, the wide conversation happening in the in the world right now has been surrounding police brutality, and we've seen specifically um, a lot of these black men who are being harmed and killed and abused. Uh, and so I'm curious as to to what you see um, the role of women and black women in this conversation, mm-hmm. um, and how uh, women have have been part. Um, of this this journey in civil rights, this journey in bringing justice and equity. Uh, what is What has that looked like and what does it look like now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, women have been in this for a while, but most times they're just not at the forefront of, of the narrative, you know? Um, and I think it's really interesting, which I counted as a win in my book, the Black Lives Matter movement being run by three women. It's pretty profound to see the the trajectory um, and just to see how far we have come with that. 
Uh, I think about Coretta Scott King. You know, Dr. King met her as an activist. Mm. But when we tell her story, we don't hear those parts about mm. it. You know, we hear that about his story, but he had to kind of be brought more into being the activist uh, at the beginning phase of that. Mm. And she was like, hello, this is what we do. You know, <laughs> uh, even the, how the civil rights movement back in the 1950s, in 1955 specifically, how um, the bus boycott in Montgomery was started with mm. uh, Rosa Parks. At the center of that getting started was the Women's Political Council in Montgomery, Alabama, and Joanne Robinson, this incredible woman uh, who had vision for what we would, what they would do if there was a catalytic moment, like someone um, being, someone refusing to get off of the bus, and how they would then launch a boycott. So they they waited for the the perfect moment, and there was a woman in the in the summer of that year who had uh, refused to get off the bus, and she was arrested and. Um, but unfortunately, because of respectability politics in that day, they could not use her story as the catalytic story. Um, and because she had she had a child out of wedlock and um, it was like they didn't want a smear campaign. They needed something squeaky clean, so to speak, to be able to move things forward uh, quickly. Mm-hmm. And so I would say, yeah, that August, the Emmett Till situation happened, 14 year old being brutally murdered. Uh, for whistling at a white woman in Mooney, Mississippi. And it was known to awaken the conscience of the country at that time because Mamie Till had an open casket funeral. She had his body displayed on the cover of Jet magazine, but his body had been in the water for three days, um, shot in the head, um, brutally beaten. And uh, so you could just imagine what his body looked like. And, and it was a lot like the George Floyd situation. You know, everyone's eyes were on the brutality, on the suffering. And it just shook everyone to their core because, you know, we're not wired for that. Um, And in Montgomery, when they planted or they they initiated this movement, these women stayed up late making thousands of leaflets. Now imagine what that looked like, not having the technology that we have today. (laughs) I'm like, the dedication, you know. Okay. And were successful. They got the word out, got the word out to the churches, got the word out to the community, got the leaflets all around. And the next day, over 90% of the people did not get on the bus. They're like, what do we do with this? So they asked if they could meet in the basement of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. (laughs) to assemble with different people of the community, leaders and influencers and faith Mm -hmm. leaders. And that's when they started the Montgomery Improvement Association and made him president. But it was initiated by these women. Um, And so I I look at now and I'm like, hey, you know, it's pretty powerful to see women at the forefront. And there were women in the the movement, uh, in the civil rights movement that were fighting on the front lines, but more so behind the scenes. Um, Members of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference that led whole departments within the SCLC to bring education and, and, and training to people who were grassroots organizations and, um, and trying to teach them the ways of nonviolence and uh, social activism through using nonviolence as the method for change. Mm-hmm. And uh, many of them, they had to decide, like, will I fight for my blackness or fight for my womanhood? Because there was also a lot of... Mm-hmm. A lot of issues, even internally, as they had to deal with black men, you know, treating them a specific way and relegating mm-hmm. them to just getting me coffee. And they're like, no, I leave this department. I'm not going <laughs> to get you coffee. Get your own coffee. Mm-hmm. And people having to tell Dr. King that, you know, yeah, like wow. women having to tell. Yeah. So it's it, the, the, the tension and the nuance there, which 
I don't know, for me, it just makes for a good, juicy story. Just the <laughs> filmmakers, the theater person that I am, I'm just like, ah, the, compl- the complexity within humanity and yeah. how we want to just relegate everyone to this, I don't know, this this heroic, sanitized version mm-hmm. when they also had their conditioning and the ways that they made their decisions. And But like women, we've been in it, you know? Yeah. And how I feel about today is like, Take your place, you know. Mm. We need. We always have needed balance. Yeah. The God's original idea was created with that in mind, created with wholeness in mind. I, I want to say actually wholeness is better than balance, mm. you know, because sometimes mm. we think balance, we think equal measuring. You know, you get five ounces, I get five ounces. And sometimes it's like ba- wholeness means the mom leads in mm. this particular season because of what's needed. Mm-hmm. Sometimes wholeness means the dad leads. Sometimes wholeness means like the kids get, we, we hear from the kids what's going on with you, you mm. know, because you're thinking about the fullness of the picture and what's needed. Yeah. We have these incredible women that like they were going to be heard. They were voices and they were forces um, to be reckoned with. And so and like they go down, you know, in the history books kind of as these secondary characters. Mm-hmm. But for a lot of people, they were at the forefront in some of those moments um and the way we go back and tell the story though Mm. is we don't put them at the forefront of the narrative but they were in there and they were happening and their names were known amongst their communities but just not necessarily in how we go back and tell the story you know today Mm. sometimes absolutely it's beautiful um thank you so much for sharing it's so One, for education, but it's also so inspiring to hear what these women put on the line to get this this critical message out there and to support with that strategy and mm-hmm. Dr. Martin Luther King. It's, it's incredible. And so my question is for us as white women mm-hmm. and also like as, you know, being members of the white community and in the church, like how should we be interacting with this issue in a way that's um, respectful, but mm-hmm. also like we want to show our support. And as Kelly mentioned earlier, we're resisting the need and desire to be super woke, but also <laughs> um, not silent. Yeah, I think it's like, where's where's the balance and what would your recommendation be for not only us, but for for all all white people. Yeah. Oof. I have so many recommendations. <laughs> you know, the first thing that I like to tell people is like, become self-aware. Mm-hmm. Like, oftentimes people are trying to bring themselves to these conversations and, and you're going to discover more about yourself along the way. Mm-hmm. But there's some work that you can do just to become self-aware. People don't realize just within their own temperament and personalities where they can be damaging to some of these types of conversations that are, mm-hmm. for other people, it's a higher risk conversation for them. Like, yeah. I can't stop being black. Like yeah. it, you people, a lot of white people, you can turn this on and turn this off if you want to. And mm-hmm. that I don't have that luxury. I don't have that privilege. Um, but learning yourself, learning your own triggers, mm-hmm. you know, what triggers you so that you don't yeah. splatter all that stuff on other people. I would actually say the same thing to black people, you mm-hmm. know, um, because we still have to remember human dignity in this and, and everyone deserves human dignity. Even the white ignorant person that's learning that sometimes gets on my nerves, you know, like I believe they deserve human dignity, and and sometimes that's there's a patience there, and and sometimes I do get impatient, but I I would ask everyone to learn yourself, you know, learn your triggers, learn what you don't know, and then begin like seeking that out. And there's so many types of journeys you could go on, um, and when you go on any of these journeys, I I would ask people to always look 
through this lens of love. Like it doesn't matter what faith you have, what religion you practice. It always, for almost every single group, it comes down to love. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so if you find ways to look through this thing with the lens of love, what would love look like if love showed up to respond to this issue? Mm. Look through that lens, mm. you know, and sometimes that means we have to learn what our lenses are. My lens, black girl from Oklahoma, grew up in the hood, but I've been in a lot of white spaces growing up. So I have a lens of teeter-tottering in both worlds. Mm. I have a lens of pain from the injustice, but I have a lens of achievement and learning how to play the game, learning how to code switch, how to, how to you know, straighten my hair and, 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 and appear as white as possible to ascend the ranks, so to speak. Mm. Like I, I have this this particular lens of poverty and working middle class and other spaces. And you know, that my lens has expanded because of my experiences, but a lot of people don't realize when they're trying to fit all of this that's happening in the world and happening in this nation through their limited lens. Mm. If you if your only lens is, you know, six sixth street uh, in um, downtown of Alabama you know, of some city in Alabama, or if it's rural and you are a farmer, like your lens is different, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's different. Um, and so you have to like discipline yourself mm-hmm. uh, to learn that lens and to be willing to see other perspectives mm-hmm. and count them valid. Uh, because <laughs> like if we live in this place of limitation and think that that's all that there is, then we are the most prone to being arrogant yeah resistant and and unteachable and therefore unwilling and unable to be a part of the change mm. um and then i would i would say once you get that love piece like then go on these journeys you know a journey of learning mm. and if you've fi- figured out that love piece then you know your heart can kind of handle when you're facing some of the hard stuff when you're looking at lynched bodies Whew. when you're reading about the gi bill and and the racism of the Jim Crow era and segregationist laws and how it built the white middle class, mm. but it also then built the black ghetto. Yet all of the veterans should have gotten the same thing. However, the black veterans did not. You, 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 it'll, you'll feel different if your heart is postured correctly when you're learning about incarceration and mm-hmm. war on drugs and mental health crisis in the black community that was treated like a criminal situation. Mm-hmm. Yet mental health crisis in the white community is treated like an opioid crisis and and how that stole our black fathers Mm -hmm. and crippled our black families and um like that journey of learning is necessary but you need the right lens you know Mm -hmm. otherwise you'll just be criticizing everything and won't want to believe what you're reading and you'll push it to the side and just stay the same yeah you know Uh, i always invite people on journeys of compassion and lament actually let yourself feel it Mm-hmm. Feel the pain. Feel what other people feel. Mm-hmm. Like if if it was someone that had experienced sex trafficking and they told us their story brutally, how they were raped and the amount of partners they were forced to have and how, how they were treated, whatever it may be. And you hear that story. You see people's faces cringe because they're allowing themselves to feel. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes we get to this story and people don't think the pain is valid. They think it existed only back in the 1800s and slavery's over. It's like, oh, but the Klan started in this time. That was the era of racial terror and the lynchings. That went up to this. My dad was born in 
you know, uh, 1963, a year before the Civil Rights Act was passed. So he was technically born as a, an individual without full rights as a citizen. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's my father, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and then the Civil Rights Movement and all of the atrocities there and then war on drugs and the FBI infiltrating black communities with crack cocaine and, you know, all the incarceration yeah. issues, Rodney King, all of the unfair housing stuff, people breaking the 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 supreme court rulings for even fair housing and voting suppression and all, like the sufferings never stopped mm-hmm. the atrocities have not ended mm-hmm. and so it's not just back in the 1800s it's it's now mm-hmm. it's today and when you let yourself feel that mm-hmm. and feel the pain of the of of the other that other then becomes the brother yep. they're no longer the other yep. you've you've healed that divide in your own heart to see human to human Mm-hmm. Spirit to spirit, mm-hmm. essence to essence, energy to energy, you know. Um, and then there's that journey of repentance. It's, it's a controversial topic right now because everybody's mm-hmm. like, hey, why do I have to apologize for what I did a long time ago? And it's not really asking for an apology. Mm-hmm. Or excuse me, when I say apologize for something I didn't do that happened a long time ago. Right. That's the, the conversation. And it's not an apology for something you didn't do. Mm-hmm. It's repentance, meaning a changing of thinking mm-hmm the conditioning that our current society runs in Mm -hmm. you know like if you were to personify the united states and make the united states a person Mm. what is running the brain of the united states that's good that's what needs to change that's what needs to repent that thinking that system that mindset right uh and we are all a part of that we all contribute to that we're all complicit Mm -hmm. we're all uh, we're all woven into it and we can't think that we can compartmentalize that that's just not how the essence of any part of creation works. We yeah. are woven together, you know? And, right. And, and and when you go to that place of repentance and you're saying, okay, not on my watch will this country continue to look like this, mm. then you can go on that journey of repair. Yeah. You know, how am I going to fix this? Yeah. How am I going to get creative, bring some ideas to, yes, heal the black community and, and, and give them what they're due. Yes, b- build some bridges. And what about the Latino community? What about the indigenous? Like, mm-hmm. what about all of those particular things? Once yeah. you unlock that, then you realize it's a trickle effect. It needs to happen for all people. Yeah. And um, and then I think at that point, there's that that journey of the of coming together, um, and that journey of even diversifying your own life and celebrating it. You know, mm-hmm. when you when you get to that point, and you, you you pay attention. You know to to what your surroundings are. And I would say even start going after some of that now. If you just got all white friends, fix that. Mm-hmm. Ask someone out for a coffee that is in your proximity that you would have never asked. Mm-hmm. Just to get to know them, you might find a, a best friend there. Mm-hmm. Same thing with black people, diversify, you know. <laughs> we need to get some Latinos in our lives, some, yeah. you know, Spaniards, some Englishmen, some, you know, like, if we really are that melting pot that we like to boast that we are, yeah. then what does that look like in our homes? You're going to start hearing so many different stories and able to have heart-to-heart connections because at the core of it all, it's about connection. Mm. At the core of it all. It's not just about, it's not about politics. It's not about fixing this and fixing that. We might use the political system to right some of these wrongs and make some of these crooked paths straight. But at the core of it is about connection. And that we can do in our own homes. Mm-hmm. That we can do in our own families. You know, what are you teaching your kids? Do, do you, your kids have, 
you have, you know, diverse dolls in your house, diverse books with diverse stories going on? Are you telling them, you know, about what it should be, painting that picture so that they're conditioned to know the proper way, the right way, the beautiful way of honoring all people Mm -hmm. for their ethnicities and and celebrating them? And like, oh my gosh, we're going to have tacos tonight. Let's look up some Mexican restaurants and make them like Mexico makes them, not like Taco Bell makes them, you know, (laughs) and and honoring and celebrating it and and then tasting of it and seeing that it's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and we're all we'll all be able to see what each person contributes, and that we're better for it. Yeah. This this beautiful tapestry, mosaic, you know, montage, collage of goodness that makes what we call humanity. We're art. We are artwork, and we're not sameness. You know, yeah, yeah. We need that absolutely. For that sure. was all good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you are connecting with people that are different from you. Like, that's where heart changes happen, mm-hmm. you know? That's that's when you actually hear people's stories instead of just looking at statistics or looking at right. what your political views are. Like, are you, do you know the people that you're affecting? Mm-hmm. Do you know the people that your policies yeah. are impacting? Precisely. So what I was really loving that you were saying was essentially white communities need to be owning the problem that is so severely affecting black communities in order so that we can own the solution with you. And I think, I mean, you touched on it, but like, why are we apologizing for something we haven't done? But when you're saying things like 1962, that's not far away. That's really close. And if we aren't all working together to own a solution, there's not going to be a better tomorrow. And I think that's the important critical thing for white Americans, white Christians, um, is to realize you have to play a part. We can't, we can't build a better tomorrow if everyone's not participating. Yeah, precisely. The ownership thing is, is quite interesting. You know, I, I, I think back even on the Colin Kaepernick situation and the kneeling, um, yeah. you know, to the oh, uh, during the Star Spangled Banner, right. and how it was so co-opted by a narrative of disrespecting the veterans. It, it's like quite a, ten, a bit of tension there. Mm-hmm. My dad being a veteran, I'm like, Dad, what yeah. do you think of this? He's like, That's what we fight for. Yeah, for those rights, you know, mm-hmm. right there. Like, and that, and there's that, you yeah. know. Uh, but in that, it's like we find the things we want to rally around and take ownership together with. Mm-hmm. So we're like, we're. We're, we're Americans. We're all citizens. Why do I even need to call you African-Americans, Nasha? You're just American. And we, we want to own that mm. together. Mm. And then when it's time to own the full American experience together, then we want to compartmentalize. Mm-hmm. What like, about black-on-black mm-hmm. black crime? You need to clean up your own community. And mm. like, oh, oh now, now it's our community. Oh, right. <laughs> and now you want to call me black and African-American mm. and not, excuse me, and not American. Yeah. Like, and, and also understanding that even though we may not have, like, I was never in slavery, but I inherited the pain of it. Mm-hmm. I was not uh, living during the civil rights movement, but I inherited the brokenness from what Jim Crow brought. Mm-hmm. I inherited uh, the, the struggle in, in a personal economy because my family did not have inheritance to pass down because those things were stolen, literally not given land after the end of slavery, the GI Bill situation and veterans and their families, black veterans, their families not given what the GI Bill said they were due, housing, education, 
um, training, job training, denied those particular things, crippled the finances, the incarceration, particular things, the unfair housing, being denied loans, you know, things like Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and it being decimated and burned to the ground, you know, all of those particular things. And no, you all today, you didn't do that. Mm -hmm. Looking at three beautiful white women, and no, you didn't do that, but our country did. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Our, our country did. Our yeah. government did. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and we all inherited that. Yeah. yeah. There are so many slave owners' families that are still walking in crazy amounts of money. And there, are, there's a narrative right now that the black community is lazy, yet right. we were subjected to 246 years of hardcore labor. Mm -hmm. And we're called lazy because we don't have money to show for any of the work that we did. Mm. Because that, it, I mean, it's technically a part of our inheritance, but inheritance denied. Right. Mm. And so there's this, this picking and choosing of when we want to belong to one another and when we don't. Mm when we want to own problems with each other and when we don't. Mm. When it's in white people's best interest, then they're all in. Mm -hmm. But when it doesn't affect them, that's your thing. Yeah. It's like, ah, which is why I say we need to be crowned with brotherhood. Mm -hmm. Because if it's my brother's issue, it's my issue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, we've had mental health issues and, and alcoholism issues in my family. Then it's our issue. Yeah. We're pulling together the funds to, to help this this brother, this sister, this uncle be healed from this particular thing without question, mm -hmm. you know, like without question. Yeah. Black people in, are not necessarily treated like that. Yeah. White people in society, yeah, treated like that. Let's give you the loans. Let's give you the subsidies. Let's give you uh, training to even understand how to use the land and how to, black people, let's not even give you land. Let's actually take it from you when we start to give it to you. You know, it's, yeah. it's the mindset that's been throughout this entire trajectory of time for this country mm -hmm. and that's the part that we have to face why are we more than willing to have this person's back mm -hmm. than this person's back mm -hmm. why are we more than willing to let this young white 17 year old in you know who's taking up arms to protect property that's not even his uh, amongst protesters uh in a city he doesn't even live in mm -hmm. and can walk past police lines while he's armed with a gun and they don't give him the benefit, I mean, they give him the benefit of the doubt. But then you have a black man who's not violent and he's just walking away from police officers. And yeah, he may not necessarily be complying, but was this 17 year old complying with laws? Mm. He was breaking multiple laws, you know, mm -hmm. killing people, mm -hmm. uh, having a gun and he was not of legal age, mm -hmm. breaking multiple laws benefit of the doubt mm -hmm. but over here no benefit of the doubt as a matter of fact we have seven bullets for you mm -hmm. and like it's that mindset that's like we've got to look at that where are we picking and choosing when we belong to each other yeah. and and face that mm -hmm. and and ask ourselves how the heck did that get in there yeah. yeah because more is caught than taught and i like to tell people too like this is not um this is not saying that you need to shame yourself mm -hmm. or walk in immense amount of guilt However, shame is a great indicator that there's something that needs to be rectified. There's something that needs to be realigned. Mm -hmm. There's something that needs to be uh, made righteous, made right. Mm -hmm. And so when you feel that shame that may pop up because now your heart and your soul is connecting with the issue, with the pain, 
uh, I would say don't let the shame wash you and tell you that you're bad, but let it indicate to what's off mm. and let it empower you yeah. to start getting realigned, to mm. start changing your thinking, to look at what you what you particularly believe and what your family believes and what was caught. So that means you're going to have to unravel the stories of your family, not just the lessons your mom sat you down and said, okay, baby, let's talk about your period. <laughs> like, no, not those, or like the birds and the bees. Like, no, how they responded when the black man got into the elevator. Mm-hmm. How they, what they said when they saw the the Latinos cutting the grass. Mm-hmm. How they feel about the indigenous and when they're, when they're passing by a casino. Mm-hmm. Those moments, go back and try to remember those moments the interactions that your family had with people of color and what you caught from how they showed you to respond, Mm -hmm. how they showed you to think, how they showed you to either own the problem or dismiss the problem, to care or not care, to look the other way or be be apathetic and desensitized or to have remorse and compassion or or any of that. Pay attention to those because that's also what raised you. Mm -hmm. That's also what conditioned you. Black people, we have to do it too. I'm, I'm a nonviolent activist, and so I believe in nonviolence of the soul, nonviolence of the inner man, meaning that even if you do harm to me, that I should have such a spiritual discipline that I don't even think an ill thought towards you, because what goes in must come out. So if violence is happening internally, violence will manifest externally. So I've got to make sure inside there's a uh, a a purity, so to speak, like a just a, a cleansing of spiritual discipline to cleanse myself, to always see the face of God in every single individual. Now, they might be sick right here in the head. Mm-hmm. They, they might not understand what I understand. They might not have a value system to uphold human dignity to that level. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. That's their choice. Or I will say that's not okay, mm-hmm. but that's their choice. Um, and But I control me mm-hmm. and my response. Meaning I, I've got to choose forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Whew, that's really hard. I go back sometimes and just to inspire myself to forgive, I have to look at like Dr. King and them. Like they were literally being hosed. They were being, you know, uh, beaten with batons, dogs sicked on them, all kinds of things. His house was bombed. Mm-hmm. People showed up saying, we are ready to, to take up arms for you, Dr. King. Your wife and your child were in that house when they bombed your house. He's like, go home. And he's choosing to love this enemy. And literally the six principles of nonviolence that were the cornerstone for his, the way that uh, many of the civil rights organizations ran and and operated. Um, It was all about the target being evil, not people. Mm. Like we fight evil, not people. So he would always refer to white people who were constantly operating through racism. He said, these are my sick white brothers and my sick white sisters. Mm always creating this sense of belonging. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that they belong to him in a family. And I'm like, how? Mm-hmm. How is that even flipping possible, you know? Mm-hmm. But it's the spiritual discipline internally. Because at some point, all of this violent energy has to stop. Like, we have to find a way to make it stop reverberating throughout the universe. Mm-hmm. Which means somebody has to absorb it. Mm-hmm. Because of just the science of energy, you mm-hmm. know? Every action has an equal opposite reaction. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm hearing that. I'm hearing like the Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Every action has an opposite reaction. You know, I just hear it in my head, but it's true. Yeah. And they were willing to use suffering as a vehicle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they absorbed it. And, and um, 
And they have what I like to call receipts from that. I mean, the mm-hmm. Civil Rights Act in 1964 being passed, the Voting Rights Act in 1965 being passed, the Fair Housing Act in 1968 being passed because of the vehicle of suffering and, and mm-hmm. a love that was so tethered to human dignity that it, it, it became a force mm-hmm. to be reckoned with. And that, that means that there's work to be done even in the black community, which is hard. It's hard because we're in pain. And so, yeah, that fight or flight kicks in. And then at some point, you're just like, how much more do we have to be the ones? Like, it's at the cost of our own bodies. Mm -hmm. I don't have the answer to that. I don't know. It's a place of tension. Yeah. It was interesting that you brought up Colin Kaepernick because, I mean, in terms of protests, let's talk about one of the most nonviolent, non-aggressive, like taking a knee. It's, It's a... It's a like a body position of respect and mm-hmm. like an honor, but also like was communicating a message, and that wasn't enough. That was like, no, you're being disrespectful mm-hmm. to veterans, but or are you just talking about white veterans? It makes it put some crazy tension there when you want to correct the black man, but you don't want to actually correct your country where it's hurting the black man mm-hmm. who is your fellow citizen, your fellow brother. Yeah. Oh, the picking and choosing. Yeah. 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 And I mean, obviously you are so educated about this and have, have <laughs> I'm still working consumed. on learning more. I mean, yeah, we're always all in process, but yeah. um, I would love to hear a couple of resources yeah. that you would recommend for people Most to definitely. dive into white or otherwise <laughs> yeah. to learn more about the history that we have, learn more about, um, just this entire issue of, of race in the United States. Mm, what do you, what are, what are your, your Bibles in that? <laughs> Boom. Well, so I love the book, Why We Can't Wait by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, it's just great to start there. You're able to even see the, the tensions of that day and what he was fighting for and what, um, kind of just seeing where we, like where we need to pick up, mm-hmm. where we left off. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dr. King, just such a, a great voice of that day, but he was able to also articulate uh, so much of really what's still going on. And if you really want to get into some great language that puts puts a really good picture around this, like I would, Why We Can't Wait by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, if you want a more psychological approach, like to understand where it's hitting the psyche and then the patterns um, within within how it affects the souls of individuals, uh, as well as a, a little bit more of the statistics and things that go into that. I would say um, the book called Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria by Beverly Daniel Tatum. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a brilliant book. Um, and it, it's going to be hard for you to not have some empathy turn on with that. I would just mm-hmm. ask people to like lean in and, and get a sense of that out-group, in-group kind of psychology because everybody wants to belong and wants to mm-hmm. feel connected and uh, how that's not been a major reality for people of color. Um, I would also say, because one of our greatest issues of today where it is so measurable, where racism uh, is showing up in disproportionate numbers and, and just in, in the statistics is within our incarceration. Um, and I would say, read the book, The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant mind. Um, and she lays it out, the school to prison pipeline, the, the, the ways that we got to this particular place, the loophole in the 13th Amendment, 
allowing there to still be legal slavery as long as people are incarcerated. The privatization of prisons and because of capital, the capitalistic model, how it's made way for more exploitation of black bodies and free labor that looks like slavery. Um, and uh, which reminds me of the documentary, 13th, go to Netflix, <laughs> directed by Ava DuVernay, and, and see that uh, you know, in documentary form for those that love to watch films. Uh, for those that are believers, people of faith, Christians on this journey, there are two books that I would recommend, um, uh, well, actually, for all people of color <laughs> and all white people kind of on this journey wanting to learn more about this, I would recommend the book Divided by Faith. That book is is bonkers and beautiful. It was kind of known to re-spark this conversation within evangelical and charismatic communities back in the early 2000s. Um, and it's still so relevant today, 20 years later, sadly. And um, But it's it's got a lot of statistics and a lot of psychology, and they've d- done a lot of interviews to even show what different, um, how, like, the lenses, like, how black people view the world because of what they have to go through, how white people view the world because what they don't have to go through. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it's yeah, it's it's a really good one, but it also shows where the church has has been involved in that. And then one of my favorite authors right now, he's a pastor in Chicago, Pastor Daniel Hill. He has written a book called White Awake, and uh, it's because he's a pastor. The book's kind of pastoral. It is written mainly for white audience, but there's a lot of black people that can gain some insight from it as well. Just because we're black doesn't necessarily mean we're experts on racism. Ooh. I tell people that all the time, wow. you know, so people start to turn to black people to teach them everything. I have a very peculiar up, upbringing, but a lot of black people have not been to plantations, <laughs> you know, and I've been to underground railroad sites. I haven't been to these locations and read different books and had documentaries showing in the house. And I could hear Dr. Cornell West playing and <laughs> just like ringing in my ear when I would wake up in the morning. And that wasn't everyone's upbringing. That was mine. So I have a privilege of sorts there, an educational privilege that they don't have. So I would tell people, like, don't lean on black people to educate you. Go, you know, go educate yourself. We also right now are being educated because we were relegated to um, majority public school education. So Mm -hmm. what's being taught there? We weren't taught our own story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And and wide awake, it's a very pastoral approach. And he really breaks down a lot of the issues, breaks down. He breaks down white supremacy, but he's very pastoral with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he's a he's. Coming out with a new book, um, September. This Ooh. book comes out called White Lies. Ooh. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a good one. Uh, I've had good. the honor of being able to pre-read it. And it's, yeah, he's, he's helping break down some of the barriers mm-hmm. and some of the things in the narratives that we tell ourselves um, that, that we think are helpful, but they're actually harmful. Uh, and there are the barriers that are stopping us from being able to, as a country, because it's through this white lens as a country, it's stopping us from really making change in this in this particular space. So, mm. yeah, those are some of my, like, go-tos that I'm always handing people. And if you are a person of action, I'd add this one on. I've just finished reading this book, but it's The Roadmap uh, to Reconciliation uh, by Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil. Um, Roadmap to Reconciliation, yeah. And she gives a lot of practicals in the journey and even, like, if you're here and you're already thinking these things, you're probably here in the journey. And these are some helpful tips of what you should do to keep pressing in. Oh. And, and uh, yep, you probably are going to tell yourself this and you, you, you're, you've arrived. But this is actually when things start to be sabotaged within organizations and with, because they think, look, we've made all this progress. Well, now's the time to actually gear it up even more. Uh-huh. Like, it's really brilliant. She gives a lot of action steps at the end of every chapter. There's reflections. There's It's, it's, it's really cool. And things that you can do within 501c3s, your organizations, your corporations, your churches. 
is, um, yeah, if you're a person that's always like, what do I do? Then roadmap to reconciliation. Yeah. Wow. That's it's amazing. Awesome. Yeah. I know it a lot. It was a lot. But no, no, it's good. good. Write them down, people. <laughs> I'm like, wow. Yeah. I've gotta... And we'll have all those listed in our um, description for this yes. so that you guys can access Perfect. them and everything. So Yeah. And to close, Tanasha, I'm going to ask you one last question before we end our time together today. And that is, what does it mean to you to be a woman being? And woman beings are just human beings navigating the world in the form of feminine. And um, so what does it mean to you to be a woman? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> to be a woman, wound man. Um, yeah, I think, uh, well, I have a poem. I have an excerpt of a Ooh, poem. <laughs> I was thinking so about excited. this question. And I thought I'd just like share, because I've written lots of thoughts about this before. Um, And here's this little piece. God spoke once a long time ago and said, let there be. And then said, let there be the she of he took bone from Adam, then crowned her head with creation and anointed her womb to populate the earth with spirit. I like to reimagine that day when God decided to put flesh to his feminine side. When he took rib, took divine inspiration, took wind, then molded us into flesh. I could just picture him completely awestruck, trying to catch his breath, pinching himself, tickled pink or maybe even the rainbow, probably even spoke in tongues at first glance at what he had done. <laughs> That's what I think woman being is, the feminine side of God, the thing that takes his breath away, the thing that can populate this earth with spirit and, and, and beauty and grace and charm and fierceness and power. Mm. And wow. something that just echoes the creator. Chills. Yeah. It's beautiful. <laughs> oh, that was so beautiful. Um, thank you so much for being here today with us. Um, it's really a treat and just a great honor to sit with you and glean all of the beautiful things in your mind. And um, so lastly, I just wanted to give you a chance to plug away. Uh, I'm sure our listeners want to know like where they can find you and yeah. how they can know more about you so yeah well I spoke uh well you mentioned earlier movement collaborative that is actually a a creative arts sort of movement mm. for this racial justice healing and unity plight and you can follow us on instagram at at the movement.co and that's movement without any vowel so it's mvmnt dot co okay. for collaborative nice. and then uh you can follow me at I am Tanasha Laray at I am Tanasha Laray Tina with the chef <laughs> l-a-r-a-y-e <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me this has been really great and uh, I'm looking forward to hearing how your journeys are going to be thank yeah. you um, thank, thank you so, so much, much. alright well we're going to close um, remember you can always find us on Instagram at woman being podcast or woman being community woman, no that's no. our um, website You're right. our website <laughs> is womanbeingcommunity.com and our Instagram is at womanbeingpodcast so Thanks so much for being with us today. All of the things. Talk to you later. Bye.